It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand, and Happy New Year 2016 has arrived, and this week we're kicking off the new year on the 12th night, also known as the Feast of Fools or Topsy Turvy Day, as we are welcoming back none other than Clopan himself, yes, Mr. Paul Candell, is stopping back this week to kick off 2016. Yes, Paul is returning to the show and helping kick off the new year on this Topsy Turvy Day to look back at the 20th anniversary of Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. This is also coming as a request to one of our D-Head listeners out there who has been asking us to bring Paul back here at the show as it's been a few years. So Emily, I hope that this is going to kick off 2016 with a big smile on your face. Now, in addition to that, 2016 has arrived. We have some of the T-Team here this week. Some of the D-Team is off, but we do have a lot of different things going on because we're going to take that look back at what just happened this week in Disney history with Nathan. We also have Caitlin giving you the latest from the Walt Disney World Resort with WDWN. Too. We're going to ring those bells of Notre Dame with Paige in the Magical Music Review and dig deep into the vault with another Blu-ray and DVD you want to add to your collection with Jason. And let's not forget our newest D-team here who is taking over for Lexi with this week's Hollywood Walk. We have all kinds of news hot off the D-wire from Disneyland, the Diamond Celebration, Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, the Disney Channel, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Disney Music, and so many other things to get you inspired happening within the Disney Company this week. So all of you D-heads, with that said, we have a lot of great things on the horizon, but one of the things that we are kicking off with is with an all-new sponsor here at the show for 2016, and DizRadio.com is proudly sponsored by Mickey's Travel. Founded in 1994, Mickey's Travel is known for their legendary service, commitment, and experience. On top of that, knowledge in helping you plan your most magical vacation that you are ever going to have. Definitely check them out, including their VIG program with many benefits, and also get some extra goodies if you book and mention Diz Radio, that you are a listener of the show. From autograph books, lanyards, and extra goodies that they're going to toss into your trip. And most of all, it's 100% free. So definitely check them out at mickeystravel.com and be sure to tell them Diz Radio sent you. So all of you D-heads, with that said, I am excited. It's Topsy Turvy Day, the Feast of Fools. Also the 12th night, and you're, you're wondering where that comes from definitely check out the 12 days of Christmas and what 12th night actually means. But it is the Feast of Fools, so let's kick off show number 131 for the week of January 7th, 2015, and ring in this topsy-turvy day. Be right back, all VD heads. 2016 has arrived.
Once a year we throw a party here in town. Once a year we turn all parties upside down. Every man's a king and every king's a clown. Once again it's Topsy Turvy Day. It's the day that Devolinos get released. It's the day we mock the friggin' chocolate priest. Every king is Topsy Turvy at the feast of food. Acting crazy thrusts is gold and weeds are a bouquet. That's the way on Topsy Turvy
Bloomberg and their dealings with stressed envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that piece. I don't know, buddy. You still don't look quite right. I don't know how those guys make it look so easy. Hi, I'm Jason Alexander. I'm the voice of this guy, Hugo. The fun-loving gargoyle in Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's enough. I was just saying... He looks a little bit different in the film. That's because I didn't draw him in the film. I'm only an actor for crying out loud. Not to mention the fact that there were a lot of talented people at the Walt Disney Studios who worked on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It was the talent and creativity of those Disney artists that really brought the film to life. Now, I've been the voice of animated characters before, but nothing prepared me for this experience. And that's what I want to tell you about. So, stick around, and I'll personally give you a behind-the-scenes preview and show you how those animators and artists and technicians created Disney's 34th animated feature, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Hey, come on, will you? You're gonna miss the party. Wine, women, and song. Well, all right, all right, all right. Hi, this is Paul Candell from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. You're listening to Disney On Demand.
Hey, D-Heads, you're listening to Disney On Demand. Wow, it's dark in here. Wow, and now it's too bright. Taking you on those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. Kari, Kari McKean. It's like Carrie only with a K instead of a C and an A instead of an E and only one R and an I instead of an I. It's Disney On Demand. Well, it started out like any normal sitting gig, you know, with the reassuring of the parent and all. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. I just wish I could forget the whole thing. You will, kid. You will. All right, all of you D-heads, so I am back, and I hope you enjoy the official kickoff for show number 131 for the week of January 7th, 2016, as we're celebrating the Feast of Fools, Topsy Turvy Day, and the 20th anniversary of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, as we're welcoming back none other then Paul Kandel back here to the show. That's right, Paul Kandel, who played Clopin in the original film, is stopping back with us to chat about a variety of different things. Lots of fun things on the horizon. We have the D-team stopping in with Nathan, Caitlin, Paige, Jason, and Cody all stopping in here this week. Lots of fun things. Tons of news hot off the D-wire. So before I jump into the news hot off that D-wire, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z-Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete archives, our lifetime of Disney player, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com. D-I-Z-Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and more. Just search Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Disney On Demand, all three of which will help you find our fun, unique, quirky little show. So definitely check us out at DizRadio.com where all these links are stored as well. And finally, if you want to stay connected and get those latest shows on your device as soon as they get released, whether that's your Android, your iPhone, your tablet, you name it, you can subscribe and get the latest shows through iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Stop right there and get the latest shows as they're released right there through iTunes and Stitcher Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, it is time to kick off 2016, the Feast of Fools, and so much more. And how about news? Hot off the D-wire, and let's jump into the galaxy far, far away. And how about Star Wars The Force Awakens becoming the highest grossing domestic movie of all time? Yes, yes, to paraphrase Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, the movie has become more powerful than we could have imagined. Yes, fueled by hype, nostalgia, and of course, you know, a fun script, The Force Awakens has conquered Avatar for the title of number one in North America movie for all time in just 20 days. Now, according to the release from Disney, J.J. Abrams' Star Wars earned enough at the box office on Wednesday to pass Avatar's $760.5 million lifetime gross. Now, as they have officially released, we are humbled and grateful to announce that thanks to fans new and old, Star Wars The Force Awakens is now the highest grossing film of all time at the domestic box office. A thank you posting on StarWars.com and the franchise's official website has stated. Now, the global box office record still belongs to Avatar, however, with James Cameron's Blue Heroes taking on $1.6 billion since 2009. Now, The Force Awakens has earned $1.6 billion around the world to date, but the worldwide race at top will end up going to Star Wars when it opens in China on January 9th. We're very sure of that. Now, with that, if you wanted to change the prices for, you know, the t- current times and the dates and... Uh, you know, really for inflation. Star Wars The Force Awakens is actually 21st place behind such classics as The Sound of Music and E.T. and Titanic. But right now, let's stay on our reign, let's stay on a happy note, and Star Wars becoming the highest grossing domestic movie of all time. Now, 
moving away from a galaxy far, far away, and let's get into a galaxy that's very tiny. And how about Disney Springs? Yes, from Disney Springs to attractions and more, Orlando is heating up for, as they're putting it, a sweet 16 of new openings in 2016. Now, 2016 is going to have a variety of different things in Orlando's area. Now, first off, Disney Springs. The Walt Disney World Resort will complete a multi-year transformation of downtown Disney into Disney Springs this year featuring an eclectic and contemporary mix from Disney and other noteworthy brands. They're going to have the Edison, which is similar to its sister location in Los Angeles, and it's a third venue announced to open at Disney Springs. There's also the Frontera Fresca, which is opening Homecoming, Florida Kitchen, and Southern Shine, which is celebrity chef Art Smith's new restaurant opening in the summer this summer at Disney Springs. Now, there's also going to be STK, which is planned on opening early this year, which is an upscale steakhouse that blends two concepts into one the modern steakhouse and a chic lounge featuring and including a live DJ, high energy atmosphere and a sleek environment. Now with that, it's not going to stop there. Epcot guests are going to be able to visit the kingdom of Arendelle. Yes, when they have the highly anticipated attraction Frozen Ever After opening in the Norway Pavilion. Now the family friendly adventure is welcoming guests to the magical world of Frozen. It's, it's going to have all kinds of the hit songs, new technology and an icy trek that's sure to warm the hearts. Now, once on board of their boat, guests are going to be able to visit Arendelle through the winter and summer celebration. There's also going to be an all-new Soaring Around the World. Now, everybody's excited about this one. We've seen cameras capturing a variety of these. Now, Soaring Around the World is going to put guests on board of the popular Soaring attraction, and it's going to journey all different lands from China, uh, California, France, Ireland, you name it, and it is going to kick off this summer as well. Now, moving into the Animal Kingdom, yes, it is a big year at Disney. You have the Sunset Kilimanjaro Safaris. Now, the popular Kilimanjaro Safaris attraction at Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park is going to be extended for an all-new nighttime adventure. Now, guests are going to travel through the African savanna amid a magically extended orange glow of the setting sun and discover two species to the new attraction, African wild hogs and hyenas. Now, there's also going to be the Rivers of Light. Now, this is an all-new innovative experience unlike anything that's ever been seen in a Disney park, combining live performances, floating lanterns, water screens, and swirling animal imagery. Now, the Rivers of Light will magically come to life on the natural stage of Discovery River, delighting guests and truly capping off a full day of adventure at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Now, I'm going to leave it there with Disney because, of course, we're a Disney-centric show, but there's a lot of things happening at SeaWorld, Universal Orlando with Skull Island, the Ring of Kong, the Sapphire Falls Resort. Uh, you know, Legoland is going to have an all-new 4D brand-new adventure. Uh, there's just a lot of great things going on, including Kennedy Space Center with Heroes and Legends. It's going to be a fun, fun summer this year in Orlando. Now, moving right along here, let's get into the small screen and move into your homes and television. How about Disney and ABC raising awareness of the importance of reading with nonprofit first book through Magic of Storytelling campaign? Now, Disney announced that it will donate its 50 millionth book to the first book campaign, a nonprofit that provides new books to educators and organizations serving children from low income families. Now, to celebrate this milestone, Disney and ABC are inviting consumers to join the fourth annual Magic of Storytelling campaign through a number of activities between now and March 31st, 2016, including the first annual Disney Reads Day on February 6th, 2016. Great day, might I add. You'll probably find out more about that when that show gets closer. 
But the Magic of Storytelling campaign is a collaboration between Disney Publishing Worldwide and Disney ABC Television Group to help the first book put brand new books into the hands of children in communities nationwide. Now, the campaign features a public service announcement, special events, an extensive media campaign, social media activations, and 50 states online challenge. Now, the inaugural Disney Reads Day on February 6th will kick off four weeks of events and special promotions at participating retailers and other organizations, including storytime events at Disney stores in over 180 United States locations to raise awareness in the importance of reading. Now, as they have released, the Magic of Storytelling campaign celebrates all the ways that a love for reading benefit a child's life. We're tremendously grateful to have a partner in Disney that shares these same beliefs, says Kyle Zimmer, president and CEO of First Book. This year is especially thrilling as Disney donates its 50 millionth book through the First Book campaign. We hope communities nationwide join us in an effort to raise awareness of the importance of reading. Now, storytelling is something that Disney does well. It's something that they do that everybody loves, and consumers are encouraged to participate and share the magic in a variety of different locations with in-store events, book donations, social media, and digital activations. If you want to find out more about this, definitely check them out at firstbook.org slash beinspired. Once again, that's firstbook.org slash beinspired, and find out about all the different ways that you can get connected and help reading. Now, getting back to the Disney parks and somebody that might be a little less known in the Disney parks, and how about a special effects expert, Tyler Weimer, passing away at age 60. Yes, such a young age. And you might be scratching your head and going, who is that? Well, special effects expert, Tyler Weimer, passed away on January 5th, 2016 at the age of 60. Now, after working as the head of special effects for the Walt Disney theme parks, he founded the Orlando, Florida-based company, Wow Works, in 2001. Now, the company specializes in entertainment experiences with a focus on creation, design, and production, with Weimer having served as the chief effects artist. Now, he had over 30 years experience as a designer, director, and more, and the sole architect for the Walt Disney Company's only live entertainment special effects group. Now, his responsibilities included a variety of different things, including heading many of the Walt Disney World Resort live shows. Some of his highlights include Super Bowl halftime shows for the Walt Disney Entertainment Company, Disney theme parks worldwide with Fantasmic, as well as Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. He's also done a variety of the different shows for Disney's animated films at Radio City Music Hall with the opening festivities. Now, in addition, Weimer founded and authored the Walt Disney World Resort's Special Effects and Pyrotechnics Training Program. Now, this program models the training and attracts hundreds of technicians for the Walt Disney Company in seven theme parks worldwide. Now, as they have officially released by Disney, we lost one of our true innovators in our Disney Entertainment family, Tyler Weimer, who for 22 years was the chief special effects wizard in live entertainment for Disney Parks, who noted Matt Kovner, project design and delivery executive for creative entertainment at Walt Disney Imagineering. So, special effects wizard who has touched many of our lives, whether you know it or not, has passed away at the young age of 60. Now, getting back into the Disney theme parks, let's get back to new costume rules announced for races ahead of the Disney Marathon this upcoming weekend. Yes, if you're 14 or older, don't even think about wearing that full-length princess dress at the weekend's marathon at Walt Disney World. Also, leave the realistic-looking sword at home. Yes, Disney officials announced that changes to its costume policy 
are leading up to many that are going to be happening at the Disney parks. Now, according to the Run Disney blog, guests may dress as their favorite characters, but they must also adhere to the following rules. Costumes must be family-friendly and not obstructive, offensive, objectionable, or violent. Now, guests who dress like characters may not pose for pictures or sign autographs with any other guests. Costumes may not contain any weapons that resemble or easily could be mistaken for an actual weapon. Costumes may also not contain sharp objects, pointed objects, or materials that might accidentally strike another guest. Now, participants under the age of 13 are allowed to wear costumes and some masks as long as the mask doesn't cover their entire face or eyes. Now, for runners 14 years or older, costume rules, these have to apply for you. Layered costumes that could conceal prohibited items are not prohibited, like Jedi robes. Boy, does that really put a damper in a lot of different things. Costume props, including those that surround the entire body, like a Death Star, the Up House, are not permitted. Costumes that may reach or drag on the ground, including full-length princess dresses. Capes may be worn if the length does not go below the waist. Themed t-shirts, blouses, sweatshirts, and hats are acceptable. And acceptable accessories, including transparent wigs, plastic lightsabers, toy swords, and tutus are all allowed. There is a huge, huge list, but they also encourage you that if you dress up, you might have to get changed before entering the park because some of those are a little bit different as well. Staying with Disney and the parks and all the different reasons that we like to go to these places, how about the Disney Vacation Club celebrating its 25th anniversary? Yes, the leading vacation ownership business, Disney Vacation Club, or as we all know, DVC, is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year with a range of special member events and offers that are planned. Now, since its debut in 1991, the DVC, which is affiliated to RCI, has offered a flexible point-based vacation system rather than the traditional fixed-week timeshare model, and now it is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Now, there's a lot of different things that they have with special benefits and many ways that they're going to help celebrate for the 25th anniversary. If you want to find out more about this, because it is a huge list, and the last thing you want to hear is listen to me go on and on and on and on and on about, uh, you know, uh, about uh, these benefits. So if you want to find out more about it, check them out at DisneyVacationClub.com. So all of you D-heads, with that said, I'm going to release the reins to the D-team here because we have more coming for show number 131 for the week of January 7, 2015 as we're celebrating Topsy Turvy Day and welcoming back to the show none other than Paul Candell, Clopan himself at the special request of a D-head out there. Yes, Emily, this one was for you to kick off 2016. But before I let you go, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Mickey'sTravel.com. Founded in 1994, Mickey's Travel is known for legendary service, commitment, experience, and especially the knowledge that they have in helping you plan your most magical vacation, including their VIG program with exclusive benefits. And as a Diz Radio listener, if you mention Diz Radio to them, you'll get some special goodies like autograph books, lanyards, and more for members of your family. So definitely check them out at mickeystravel.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, we're going to release the reins to the D-team. We have Caitlin, Nathan, Paige, Jason, and Cody all stopping in here this week. Lots of fun on the horizon. So let's continue on with show number 131 for the week of January 7th, 2016. Be right back, all of you D-heads. With the scoundrels of Paris collecting them there. Maybe you've heard of that mythical place called the Court of Miracles. Hello, you're there. Lake Camelot. And the blind can't see. But the 
be around to reveal what you found. We have a method for spies and intruders rather like hornets protecting their hide. Here in the court of miracles, where it's a miracle if you get out alive. The justice is swift in the court of miracles. I am the lawyers and judge all in one. We like to get the trial over with quickly because it's the sentence that's really the fun. Any last words? <laughs> that's what they all say. Now that we've seen all the evidence... Wait, I object! Amaral! I object! Quiet! We find you totally innocent. Which is the worst crime of all? So you're going to bed! And their dealings with stressed envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that. Yesterday, we went to my favorite place, Burger King. Mom and Dad had a special surprise waiting for me. It was Quasimodo. Now your kids can get all four puppets from Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, just a dollar ninety nine each with any value meal. And then I got carried away just like Quasimodo. The Hunchback of Notre Dame Puppets, only at Burger King. Hey everybody, it's Bradley Pierce from Beauty and the Beast, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. Hi there, it's Caitlin here with WDWN2, a quick rundown of what's happening in the parks. Well, it's a new year, and with the new year comes new Disney Parks merchandise. This year's 2016 logo is based on the theme, Music, Magic, and Memories, giving credit to the tunes we all know and love, and that have helped us shape so many of our Disney memories over the years. The designs are really cute, and as always, you can find them on shirts, sweatshirts, hats, mugs, magnets, and so much more. If you collect Alex and Annie bangles, it's good to know that as of January 11th, the classic Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, and Mickey with Pluto bracelets will be retired. Make sure to get them before they're gone for good. Reservations are now open for Minnie's Silver Screen Dine at the Hollywood and Vine Restaurant. From now through March 10th, join Minnie and friends on the red carpet as they celebrate the glamour of Hollywood and the upcoming awards season. With entrees like bacon-wrapped pork loin, lobster and shrimp macaroni and cheese, and honey bourbon glazed turkey, we're sure everything on the menu will be amazing. Mickey and Minnie, Goofy, Daisy and Donald will all be dressed in their Oscar best, so make sure to look into reservations for this adorable character dinner at Hollywood Studios. Visit DisneyWorld.com slash dine or call 407-WDW-DINE for more information. Speaking of Hollywood Studios, a sneak preview of one of the newest upcoming animated movies will be featured starting January 21st. Catch a preview of Disney's Zootopia in the One Man's Dream Theater on Mickey Avenue. We can't wait to experience the new animal-operated world they're creating. I know I'm a huge Jennifer Goodwin fan, so I'm sure I'll love Officer Judy Hopps. Thanks for listening, and until next time, don't forget, you can fly.
Coming to theaters, summer 1996. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 34th full-length animated motion picture, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Pour the wine and cut the cheese. The magnificent Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris was the site where Disney animators drew their inspiration for the powerful story of Quasimodo, <gasps> a man who lived in a world of isolation. Remember Quasimodo. This is your sanctuary. But had the courage to dream of freedom. And living in the sun. What's going on out there? A fight? A flogging? A festival? Once a year we throw a party here in town. Well, you're not hurt, are you? No! See? No harm done. By the way, great mask. Look! He's got a friend with him. Way to go, lover boy. An all-star cast brings the characters to life. All right, all right. Including Demi Moore as the mysterious Esmeralda. You. And Kevin Kline as the heroic Phoebus. Easy, easy. I, I, I just shaved this morning. Oh, really? You missed a spot. Mary Wicks, Charles Kimbrough, and Jason Alexander are the three wisecracking gargoyles. It is a treat to watch the colorful pageantry of the simple peasant folk. Oh, look, a mime. And Tom Hulse is Quasimodo. If I picked a day to fly, oh, this would be it. Leave this place. Arrest her. Oh! Dang it. What a woman. How dare you defy me? I think the cavalry's here. This coming summer, experience the adventure. Sit. Whoa! Of Walt Disney Pictures' newest animated entertainment event, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Hey again, D-Heads, and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2016 and to another installment of This Week in Disney History. I'm Nathan, and ready to take you through another segment's worth of historical Disney facts and potential trivia. First, though, this episode is a very special occasion. I mean, it isn't every single day we throw a party. In fact, once a year we throw a party here in town. Once a year we turn Paris upside down. You know where I'm going with this, so come one, come all. And as always, branching off that, let's begin. Kicking off this week, let's begin with a throwback to this week in Diz Radio history with show number 130 from December 2015. Now, I know what you're thinking, and I know that you think this is breaking tradition, but it is just Christmas break barely being over. Christmas bleed over, some people still in the holiday spirit, and show 130's guest is Beverly D'Angelo, Mrs. Griswold herself. This is just legendary. I don't even need to have to introduce this one. If you're one of, like, five people who have not listened to this show, go listen now. Listen for a second time, a third, a fourth, a fifth, it doesn't matter. Check out show 130 and be blown away. Now, starting out this week in Disney history, we're going to begin in 1905, when character actor and Disney legend Sterling Holloway, the original voice of Winnie the Pooh, is born in Cedartown, Georgia. In 1914, actor George Reeves, who was best remembered as TV's Superman, is born in Woolstock, Iowa. He also was James Stephen in Disney's 56 live-action Westward Ho! The Wagons. In 1916, administrator and Disney legend Card Walker is born in Rexburg, Idaho. In 1932, actor Dabney Coleman, the voice of Principal Peter Prickley in Recess and Recess Schools Out, is born in Austin, Texas. In 1955, actor, writer, and funny man Rowan Atkinson 
the voice of Zazu, the hornbill in Disney's animated feature The Lion King, and also the star of Mr. Bean's British TV series, is born in Consett, County Durham, England. In 1963, comedian, actor, and writer, and director Dave Foley, the voice of Flick in the Disney Pixar 1998 feature A Bug's Life is born in a suburb of Toronto, Canada. In 2014, Disney-owned Lucasfilm announces that in beginning in 2015, Marvel will be granted exclusive rights to Star Wars comics and graphic novels. This is going to be the first time in more than 20 years that a license has moved away from Dark Horse Comics. And we're going to end this week in Disney History D-Heads with a very recent one. 2016, it's going to be reported that Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, has officially become the highest grossing film of all time in U.S. cinemas, for Walt Disney Studios motion pictures. The film has earned more than $761 million domestically since its December 18th premiere. The Force Awakens has officially beat out the previous record holder, which was Avatar. Avatar took 34 total weeks and a special edition release to make a total of $760.5 million. While Star Wars destroyed that record with an unthinkable, unfathomable 20 days. So just for some crazy math, that's 34 weeks and 7 days a week for a total of 238 days, and it was stomped by a mere 20. It's absolutely crazy. They still have to, a bit to go to beat out their uh, predecessor, Star Wars A New Hope, or for the original fans, just Star Wars, which made a whopping $1.53 billion total and currently holds second place behind Gone with the Wind, holding at $1.7 billion in American theaters alone. Well, D-Heads, that's all again for this week in Disney history. Hope you enjoyed and learned something new maybe you didn't know. Feel free to email me at Nathan at DizRadio.com. As always, guys, have a great week. See you real soon. Thanks for joining us on this topsy-turvy, mad and crazy, upsy-daisy, topsy-turvy day. I'll see you later. May I have your attention, please? At this time, I'd like to take a moment to review our boarding process with you. When the automatic doors have opened... Please proceed directly across the ramp into the cabin. Continue to move all the way across your aisle, filling in every available seat. For your safety, all passengers are required to wear safety restraints throughout the flight. To fasten the restraint, pull the strap out from the right side of the seat and snap it into the console on your left. Galactic regulations require that all carry-on items be safely stowed beneath your seat. While on board, Flash photography is not permitted. And please, no smoking at any time. If you have any questions, feel free to ask an attendant. You'll be boarding in just a few moments. Thank you, and have a pleasant tour. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. Hi, this is Cal David, the voice of Sunny Eclipse. And you're listening to Disney On Demand.
if you can hear me, or if you're even there. I don't know if you would listen to a gypsy's prayer. Yes, I know I'm just an outcast. I shouldn't speak to you. Still, I see your face and wonder. Were you once an outcast too? God help the outcasts, hungry from birth. Show them the mercy they don't find on earth. God help. We look to you still. God help the outcasts where nobody waits. It's Disney Blues. Disney on demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, LVD heads. So I am back, and thank you to the D team for stopping in here, kicking off 2016 with all kinds of fun as we're celebrating the Feast of Fools, Topsy Turvy Day, and so much more. This show is gigantic here this week. So because of that, I did have a lot more news I was going to give you here for all of you D-Heads. Everything from all new clothing for the Run Disney team with Dumbo shoes, Little Mermaid shoes, uh, a variety of those, as well as Star Wars The Force Awakens original motion picture soundtrack score and many other things. But instead of that, I'm going to cut it short. I'm going to cut it really short because we, we have a long show. We're probably only about halfway through this week's show, LVD Heads, so I'm going to spare you me rambling on for about 10 more minutes. So I'm going to give you a rundown of some of the latest movies that are going to be coming from Disney. How about The Finest Hours kicking off on January 29th? We have Zootopia coming out on March 4th, The Jungle Book on April 15th, we have Captain America Civil War 
hitting May 6th, yes, Cinco de Mayo. We have Alice through the Looking Glass on May 27th, Finding Dory on June 17th, the Big Friendly Giant, or the BFG. Kicking off on July 1st, we have Pete's Dragon, which is not going to be a musical. And if you want to listen back to when Helen Reddy's been on our show a few times, listen back about her thoughts of the remake. That is coming in August 12th. We have Doctor Strange on November 4th, Mona on November 23rd, and of course, the Star Wars anthology, Rogue One, on December 16th. So all VD heads, with that, yes, I had intended to bring you a lot more news and a lot more things, but... The show is running a lot longer than expected, and I should have been here about 10 minutes ago, but hey, we have a fun, topsy-turvy day, so I'm going to release the reins back to the D-team. Lots of fun. The next time I stop in, yes, we're going to have one and only Paul Kandel stopping in here. Clopan from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes, celebrating the 20th anniversary, topsy-turvy day, and more. So because I'm cutting my talking a little bit short here, let's just look up, take a moment, and wish that 2016 is going to be a better year than last year for all of you out there. You always want to wish upon that star for something bigger and brighter and always look to the second star to the right. Be right back, all VD heads, and the next time you hear me, I'll have Paul Kandel here on the line.
trooper in their dealings with stressed envelope to Davis and Kurt right down that wait between lashes otherwise the old sting will dull him to the new yes sir ah so this is the gallant Captain Phoebus home from the wars reporting for duty as ordered sir your service record precedes you Phoebus I expect nothing but the best from a war hero of your caliber and you shall have it, sir. I guarantee it. Yes. You know, my last captain of the guard was um, a bit of a disappointment to me. Well, no matter. I'm sure you'll whip my men into shape. Uh, thank you. It's a great, tre um, tremendous honor, sir. You've come to Paris in her darkest hour, Captain. It will take a firm hand to save the weak-minded from being so easily misled. Misled, sir? Look, Captain. Gypsies. The gypsies live outside the normal order. Their heathen ways inflame the people's lowest instincts, and they must be stopped. I was summoned from the wars to capture fortune tellers and palm readers? Ah, the real war, Captain, is what you see before you. For 20 years, I have been taking care of the gypsies, one by one. And yet, for all my success, they have thrived. I believe they have a safe haven within the walls of this very city. A nest, if you will. They call it the Court of Miracles. What are we going to do about it, sir? Let's start those projectors and look at this week's Hollywood Walk. Hey everyone, Cody here. First of all, I'd like to say happy 2016 to everybody. Hope everyone had a very fun, filled, and safe holidays. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I've been doing the show for a couple weeks now doing the Trip Down Memory Lane segment. I've been having a lot of fun doing it. And as it turns out, uh, I've made the cut to join this wonderful team of Disney heads, D-heads, I suppose you would call them here. So I'm very honored for that. I'd like to take this moment to thank Jonathan uh, for the opportunity in itself and also to thank the rest of the D-team for the warm welcome and uh, just overall being very in inviting, I guess you will. Uh, it's been very easy coming into this. Everyone's been just been wonderful to me so it's, it's really taken a lot of the pressure off if you will um i will be taking over the hollywood walk segment that lexa used to do so hopefully i can um, fill those shoes very well hope to do the best that i can do uh that's going forward uh, for this week i just kind of figured i'd introduce myself to everyone and just kind of tell you a little bit about myself um, as I said, my name's Cody. I live in Wisconsin. I lived in the same town for 31 years my whole life. I love it. I got a lot of uh, family and friends here, and I plan on staying here for a lot longer. So that's that. Um, you know, as a kid, 
when it comes to Disney as a kid, I remember the f- the first thing I remember ever watching and knowing that it was Disney really um, were Winnie the Pooh. Um, my parents had a bunch of VHS tapes of Winnie the Pooh that I remember just sitting down and binge watching um, at the time. That was my first experience really with Disney were Winnie the Pooh. From there, it went to more of the uh, movies, if you will. can't recall my first ever feature film of Disney, but I do have my favorites. Um, Some are animated, others are not. I remember my first non-animated Disney movie was... My grandmother made me watch it, and I was not looking forward to it. She said, let's watch a Disney movie. I got all excited as a little kid, and she pops in Mary Poppins. I'm like, what is this? You know, where are all the bright colors? Where's all the animation? I I don't see it anywhere. Well, you know, it turns out I end up loving Mary Poppins. It's it's a great movie. It's one of my all-time favorites. Always will be. It's a classic. Uh, Love Julie Andrews in it. Uh, Huge Julie Andrews fan. You know, loved her in, in Sound of Music. As well, it's another one I like. I know that's not Disney, but that's that. Um, as for other movies for Disney, um, I would say at the top of my list would have to be... Oh, I mentioned Mary Poppins. Another one would have to be... I, I like the old classical ones now that I'm older. So I'd have to go with Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit, uh, The Ugly Dachshund, uh, Blackbeard's Ghost is hilarious... Uh, I could watch that any day of the week and make me laugh. So along those lines, I like those movies. I I have a lot of memories with those movies, um, as well as the animated ones. I think the one that pops out in my head for animation, the one I got the most excited about pretty quickly, was The Rescuers Down Under 2. And obviously the reason why, being a kid, is when you find out that the main character has got your name in it. Well, the movie has just gotten so much better already. So I like the Rescuer movies. Um, I also like Sleeping Beauty, Fox and Hound, Oliver and Company, um, things of that nature. I Obviously, I love all the new stuff that's coming out. I think it's great. But also, I mean, there's always a place in my heart for the old ones. Um, Sword in a Stone is also another one of my all-time favorite movies uh, with Merlin and, and Arthur. It's always a classic. And I guess right now for me, the time in my life, it, the best part about Disney is the family aspect of it. And the coolest thing for me now as an adult, and I have a five-year-old son, I have another one on the way that I'm excited about coming in June. Um, it's... You know, you watch the movies with them, the new ones, and it's all well and good and you have fun. But then as a parent, you'll pop you'll pop a movie in that you loved as a kid when you were their age. And when they start laughing at what you laughed at, it it really gets you gets you somewhere special. Um, so that's to me that's the best part about Disney. I mean, it truly is magical in that sense. Is that generation to generation, it can be passed on and it is uh, and I hope to continue that with my my son and I hope he you know when he has a family someday he does it as well so well I think 
There's a little bit info on me, so you kind of know who I am, whereabouts I am in the world, and uh, kind of how I feel about Disney. And as I mentioned before, I'm very excited to be on board, and I really hope I can live up to the hype. I hope I can do the best job that I can, and I will see you all next week. Have a good one, D-Heads. Higgitus, figgitus, zambakazing. I want your attention, everything. We're packing to leave. Come on, let's go. No, no, not you. Books are always first, you know. Hockety, pockety, wockety, whack. Abracadabra, dabra, knack. Shrinking size, very small. We've got to save enough home for all. Higgitus, figgitus, figgitus, more. Prestidigitorium. Cicero, you belong in the seas, alphabetical order, please. Alakafez, Malakazez, Malakazez, Maripides. Diminish, diminish, dictionary, that word's in your vocabulary. Hockety, pockety, wockety, whack, that's the way we've got the pack. Higgitus, figgitus, figgitus, bottom of higgitus, figgitus, figgitus. Let's uh, start again. Hockety, pockety, wockety, whack, odds and ends and brick and brack. Higgitus, figgitus, figgitus, mum, prestidigitonium. Higgitus, figgitus, figgitus, mum, prestidigitonium. Hurry up there, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> oh, this is the best part. Higgitus, figgitus, figgitus, mum, prestidigitonium. Higgitus, figgitus, figgitus, mum, prestidigitonium. Lights. Camera, action! It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And with us, with all the magic and memories and lifetime of Disney, we've kicked off into 2016. And to help us with the Festival of Fools, yes, it is the 6th of January, all the fun. We have none other than the person you know as a gypsy, a theater actor, and so much more, belting out all those notes from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. We have none other than Paul Kandel with us. Welcome back to Disney On Demand. Thanks, Jonathan. It is our pleasure having you on. I mean, one of our most popular guests here at the show, and of course, ringing in the new year, and how timely with the Feast of Fools and whatnot, with the Hunchback. I guess with that, jumping into uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame right away, uh, because you know we don't want to keep all the Disney fans uh, holding up, I guess, how did you get involved with uh, being part of this film that is now iconic and a true Disney classic? Uh, well, at the time, I was in a show on Broadway, a musical called uh, The Who's Tommy, uh, so I was uh, busy singing in front of a lot of people at that time, and Disney had auditions for this part of New York, and at, at that time, they were using uh, performers that were in uh, Broadway musicals in their films, although they were very hard jobs to get, and you were one would be very lucky to get one. Uh, so I felt lucky just to get the audition, a lot of competition for that. And then uh, many auditions and callbacks and working with Alan and Stephen, who ran those auditions pretty much the same way they run the recording sessions. Okay, that was good. Try this. All right, that's not bad. Try this. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's good. Let's move on. Try that. So very long, involved work sessions, let's say, more than auditions. They were very respectful of all of the people who auditioned, many of them colleagues of mine. Uh, and then uh, I got the job. It was incredibly exciting. 
Well, you know, and with that, like you said, that was back in the era when Disney, you know, they got the, you know, people from Broadway and musicals and you had the pipes, of course. And, you know, you somebody who, uh, you know, definitely has the musical talent behind it. Um, were you more excited just to be part of the film or be part to be able to sing some Disney classics? Uh, I would, well, that's a good question. They're both, I, I would say. Uh, uh to be part of that history, to be part of something that you can look at when you're 94 and be proud of, uh, uh, that's that's something. And, and, and to be part of a very long tradition of doing extraordinary work that, that reaches a lot of people. I mean, I, I, I was very excited and proud to have that opportunity. I'm still proud of the work. Uh, and to uh, work with Alan and Stephen... Uh, two of the most extraordinary talents uh, in music theater uh, was a breathtaking opportunity, uh, at the same time incredibly exciting and uh, mightily scary. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the role that you had, you know, taken over as being part of Clopin there with the film and being the narrator, now that character has been in every version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame to date, every film in the novel. And of course, Disney's take on it was completely different. Now, would you consider him to be more mischievous and dark or, uh, I guess, more good-natured and good-hearted and kind of puts up a front? Uh, I would say it, it, it falls somewhere between the two and the nature of that character changed in the course of the making of that film, which took over three years. Many rewrites, songs written, recorded, and then deleted from the film, a lot of dialogue recorded and then deleted. The making of these things, at least when I was doing it, I don't know if things have changed at this point, but the making of these things was an organic process. And as it moved along and they learned from what they were doing or or the center of gravity of the film changed, uh, the nature of the character you were playing would, would change a little bit. I mean, in the structure of this film, as it was originally uh, uh, considered, and even as it ended up, uh, Clopin was more of a prankster than anything else. Uh, At one time, he was more the voice of the disenfranchised gypsies, kind of defending their point of view. Uh, but certainly not a particularly dark, uh, character. He has a, you know, one on the verge of dark moment in the film, uh, but, uh, more, more of a, a, a prankster, I would say. Now, when it comes to the film, like you said, you know, him being a prankster and whatnot, and this film was truly epic and something completely different than most Disney films. It was very theatrical, very Broadway-esque, and it had such a deep meaning behind it and a deep feeling. Um, you know, was were you shocked at the response that this film had gotten in terms of, you know, critical acclaim? And, of course, you know, uh, your final number there as well with uh, hitting those notes that, uh, to this day, everybody still revels, uh, you know, you being able to to sing that right well I, I think i may have mentioned in my last interview that it took me an entire year <laughs> to hit those notes every time we had a recording session we, we uh we recorded that number and the first time i recorded it i couldn't hit that last note it's incredibly high it's a joke 
And they said, don't worry about it. Each time we do a recording session, we'll go back to that because they have it all on tape. And then you'll go for that note and eventually you'll get it. And in the course of about a year's worth of recording sessions, that's exactly what we did. Each time we came in, we'd come back to that note and they'd, they'd punch in that section of the song and I'd try for it. <laughs> and, and eventually I, I did get it. But that's not something I could pull out of my pocket right now, let me tell you. It was, it was an, it was an effort. <laughs> Worth the effort, but it was an effort and it, and it took time. Uh, as far as people's response to the film, the intention from the beginning, and it was very firmly held by the entire creative team, uh, Gary and Kirk and and Alan and Stephen and Don Hahn, who was the producer, everyone was intent on being uh, creating something new and memorable and for the ages. And they worked very hard at doing that, threading the needle between something that would be acceptable to people of all ages, from kids to their parents and grandparents, and would tell this very powerful story in a penetrating way. And they constantly worked towards that end, making adjustments, changing songs, Alan writing one song, dropping it out, writing a new song, or Alan and Stephen doing that. Uh, uh, tweaking the story. They worked very, very... Everyone I met at Disney was bent on this being something gorgeous and memorable, uh, right down to... Uh, I was lucky enough to have an extraordinary uh, lead animator on my uh, character named Mike Surrey, with whom I spent a lot of time for the uh, as he created the physicality and look of the character i got to meet uh animators in a number of the disney studios as i traveled around the country to work for them i would say could i you know meet the people who are doing the drawing and you know they're they're absolutely breathtaking bunch of people in, in the days when they were still doing hand animated films these people were stunning in their talent and in their uh, uh, passion for making something memorable. So I was very proud to work with all of them and uh, certainly proud of, uh, of, of the product, uh, which had to do much more with this army of people than it did with me. But I was certainly proud to, to, to do my part, I must say. Well, definitely, you know, and like you said, they wanted something monumental, different, and of course, it told such a powerful story. And of course, now 20 years ago, this film, uh, you know, has uh, hit the screens. Now, like you said, they changed a lot of the music, changed a lot of the songs and whatnot. Is there any one song that is truly your absolute favorite, whether that's the lyrics behind it or how it came to be? Because there's a lot of fan favorites from Topsy Turvy, Bells of Notre Dame, um, you know, Feast. There's so many other ones. Uh, I guess, is there one that really stands out to you? Out there. Out there is my is my favorite, actually. Not, it's not a song of mine. Uh, it, it's 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 uh, it's 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 the song that 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 comes into my head first when when I think of Hunchback. It sets Quasimodo up so beautifully. It's a gorgeous uh, song. Um, Alan and Stephen did a beautiful job with it. It's beautifully sung. It's it's soaring and sad at the same time. Uh, that's a gorgeous piece of work. It really is. And then I would say second to that would be 
the opening and closing numbers that I did get to sing, I, I think uh, uh, that, that was something that came a little later on, actually. We were about a year into working on the film when they came up with that opening and closing number as bookends for the film. And the first time I heard it, I sang it as a demo for the uh, for uh, for Kirk and Gary to hear. Alan and Stephen had written it. We did a demo in New York of it, which was then sent to them in L.A. and then they approved it. Uh, th- that's th- that's the work that I've done that I'm most proud of. I think it set well, the know- film up beautifully. It was very exciting to do. It's dramatic. Uh, it's beautifully written. That, that's a favorite of mine. Well, you know, and it definitely does complement a lot of the visuals and the story. And like you said, both of those are fantastic, you know, tracks for that, uh, you know, to really tell that story and push it forward. Now, working on this film, and like you said, it took so many years to develop. Um, are there any behind the scenes or any fun things that, uh, you know, happen to you, whether that's you're recording some dialogue or songs or some interaction, just moments that, you know, one day when you write those memoirs, it's definitely going to make it into the book? Yeah. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, when you when you <laughs> recorded uh, these things, uh, the orchestra would come in first. Huge orchestra, 65-piece orchestra on an enormous soundstage uh, in Los Angeles that's very famous uh, for having recorded the soundtracks of uh, every important movie you, you you can bring to mind. I mean, it's ama- amazing. There's a plaque in front of this soundstage listing all of the movies that have had uh, either shot there or have their soundtracks recorded there. It's, 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 it was very intimidating for me, certainly, for the first time. So they bring in the 65-piece orchestra, and you sing along. They play, and you sing along with them, uh, creating what's called a scratch track, which just gives them the idea of what the tempos should be and how you're going to sing the song. And then the orchestra plays that musical number over many times until they're satisfied with it. Then they dismiss the orchestra. So you have this huge empty soundstage. You have your lunch. You come back from lunch. And there in the middle of that huge empty soundstage is one music stand, one microphone, and you. All alone (laughs) in all that space. And you have your little headphones and the microphone, and then they play back those orchestra tracks, and you sing to it. You put down your vocal track. And you sing the whole song through a number of times, and then you sing sections of the song. And each time after you've done it, Alan and Stephen and Gary and Kirk have the opportunity to make comments and give you notes on what you've done and suggestions on what you might do the next time you sing it. Well, one time they left the little intercom on uh, when they didn't intend to, and I heard Stephen say, singing for acting three. (laughs) (laughs) Not my best take. And, and, And my end of the microphone was still on, and I said, I heard that, I heard that. So we all had a good laugh over it. I mean, it was it was him uh, certainly telling me that that was not the take they were going to keep. And and you know, I found it very funny. I had been singing for about four and a half or five hours. They were tired. I was tired. But it was it was a a, a moment of criticism that actually turned into something very funny, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> 
Well, you know, with with this uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame as well, you know, it went on to do so many different things. Became a stage show at the parks, um, so many other elements. Of course, your your character even uh, walking around the parks. It became a stage show in the park, where ironically, a friend of mine from college uh, played Clopin in that park version of the stage show. A guy who I hadn't seen for twenty years. I got an email from him saying, guess what, I'm playing you. So that's one odd intersection. And in the recent <laughs> uh, stage version, which was done in La Jolla and in New Jersey at the uh, Paper Mill Playhouse, I had three friends and uh, colleagues in that show. And the young man who played my part is somebody I had known since he was 19. So he, wow. he he called me up when they were auditioning for it and said, geez, you know, I'm up for your part. You know, any suggestions? And I said, you don't need any suggestions from me. You have your own extraordinary talent, and I'm sure that's what you'll bring to the audition, and I bet you get it. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Eric Lieberman, very talented. Now, with all these different incarnations, and of course the film, and like I said, 20th anniversary and whatnot, um, you know, do people ever recognize when they watch the film or pass it on to their children? Do you ever get recognized from friends and family and other people who are like, were you in Hunchback? Who they just might be clueless and they hear that voice and they realize it's you? Uh, occasionally when I'm working, somebody might see it in my resume uh, you know, it's it, the, the the character looks sort of like me, and certainly in the in the slow development of the character's final look, it went from something uh, almost like a line drawing to to the fully fleshed out character, and that had to do with Mike Surrey meeting me, looking at me, watching me work as I sang. A lot of other input. I mean, it, it wasn't made to look exactly like me, but it was meant to have my general physicality. So when somebody meets me on the street, you know, even a colleague or somebody that you might run into uh, leaving a stage door, uh, unless they saw in the program that I was in that film, they don't go, hey, you must be Clopin. <laughs> I do get well, you know, I... on it, but but in that roundabout way, not because somebody looks at my face and 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 knows that, and connects me with the character. Well, that's until all the Disney fans get out there and they hear your voice and they'll they'll pinpoint it right away. And you know, with the film, there's also a sequel that you were part of as well. You know, Hunchback of Notre Dame two and all those. I guess what is it like now? I guess all these years later, the film still holds up. It's considered one of those timeless Disney classics to this day. Um, you know, it, it's just it's passed on people always ask for the characters to be back in the parks and and whatnot i guess uh looking back because some of those films just get lost um how does it feel overall just knowing that it still has such a high fan demand and fan following all these years later uh it it, it feels uh it's, it's hard to find an adjective adjective for that that's appropriate it it, it feels incredibly good uh I have to say that I was proud of everything that had to do with that film. I was proud of what they intended to do when we started. I was proud of having the opportunity of working with a huge group of enormously talented people whose intention was to do something that would that would last. I was proud of my work. I was proud of the opportunity to work with 
the other principal cast members, stars, which I was not. Uh, incredibly talented people. Um, whether the film had the kind of legs that it has or not, I would have been incredibly proud of it. But the fact that it does still move people and will uh, when I'm gone from this earth uh, is moving. It, it was a, a high point in my career, and I'm uh, enormously proud of it. Well, you know, and like you said, it's one of those that, you know, even when, when time goes on, it's going to continue to be passed down from generation to generation. And, you know, looking back at this film and the glory of it and how, you know, the music and the artistry behind it, and of course, being one of those last few gems of the, you know, hand-drawn animation days, um, you know, looking back at the entire film, is there one moment in the film, one character in the film, other than, of course, yourself, uh, that is your favorite? That's a tough one. Um, I don't think I have a favorite. You know, I'd love to give you a favorite, but I don't think I have a favorite. There were so many things in the film that were so good, and so many good performances, and so many good moments. I don't think I can pick a favorite performance. I can't. I'm 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 proud of the whole thing. I'm proud. Uh, when I think of it, I think of it as a whole. And I think of uh, uh, I, I, I think of being proud of being part of that whole, rather than oh, there's this one particular thing. I mean, you asked me to pick a favorite song, that wasn't particularly hard. But uh, but outside of that. My my pride in it is sort of global. Now, I guess, you know, we know that, you know, we don't want to keep you too long. So many different things going on in everybody's lives, of course. I guess, you know, looking back, do you ever just sit back and uh, do you ever find yourself listening to the soundtrack or catching it on TV and sitting back and watching the film uh, still? You betcha. <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> I mean, certainly not every other day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely will watch, you know, I'll watch a different section or I'll go to, uh, I mean, I find the end of the film particularly moving, so I'll watch that. Uh, sometimes I'll be in a gargoyle, gargoyle mood, so I'll watch that section of the film. Uh, uh, so I, usually I'll go back to it and I'll watch it in snippets. And it'll remind me of what was going on when we were making that section. But I certainly go back to it. Kidding? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's no, I guess I'm proud so, of and I enjoy. Well, you know, and before we let you go, too, is of course, you know, because it is the uh, you know the Feast of Fools, also known as the Twelfth Night, you know, sixth of January, the popular topsy turvy song. Um, you know, I, I don't want to just toss it out there, but have you ever celebrated this holiday other than the movie? No, <laughs> I haven't. I, I have to be honest about that. I have not celebrated the Feast of Fools. Uh, uh, no, I can't give a better answer than that. I mean, it was it was that's a great number, and it was a lot of fun to record. And in fact, it was the first thing I recorded for Disney. Uh, terrifying uh, uh, first crack out of the box. I think if it had gone badly, they might have said thanks for coming and goodbye and replaced me with somebody else. So, you know, happily it went well. Um, uh, uh, 
Well, you know, and of course that number did go well because, you know, Disney went on and they created a, I think, a dance remix version of that song as well with your voice. So a lot of good things there. Now, in closing here, you know, 20 years, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, your role, very crucial to the entire film. You're the one that kind of ties it all together from beginning to end. Is there anything you'd like to leave out there for all the fans of your character, Paul Kandel, you name it, for everybody that's tuning in as you continue to be one of our most popular people and guests here at the show? Well, I think what I would say to your listeners is that if they've watched this film once or maybe twice, try it a third time. There's so much in this film, so much beauty, so much passion, so much warmth, so much humor, and it tells a uh, it, it tells us something very crucial about the human condition. And it's so packed with things that are beautiful that each time you see it, you're going to pick out something new that you missed. And I think that's what makes it a classic. It is so dense with good work that each time you watch it, you're going to see something you missed the prior two times. And that's why I'm able to go back to it and enjoy it as often as I do after all these 20 years. It's a beautiful piece of work. Definitely. You know, Will, it was our pleasure having you stop in, you know, have some time here with us this week for all of our listeners, fans of yourself. And, you know, you are always welcome back anytime. And, you know, thanks once again for, uh, you know, having those memories and this film that I've passed on to my children as well. And thanks once again, Paul, for stopping back with us. My absolute pleasure. Oh, here is a riddle to guess if you can sing the bells of Notre Dame. What makes a monster and what makes a man? Whatever that pitch you can feel them bewitch you, the rich and the ritual bells of the bells of Notre siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Required voice identification. EC82. Hey gang, it's me again, Jason. Welcome back down here to the vault, where there are as many leagues under the sea as there are resolutions down here. Welcome to a brand new year, and what a great way to start our new year off with a little fun and frivolity as the Feast of Fools comes rolling in. Well, the 6th of January may have come and gone, but you know what? It's the Feast of Fools every day here on Disney On Demand. I mean, look at all of us. We're all a little topsy-turvy, but you still come back for more, and that's why we love you, and I'm sure that's why you love us as well. 
Well, I'm getting all giddy and excited in regards to the fine Feast of Fools, and that only means one thing. If you know your Disney lyrics, then you know the Hunchback of Notre Dame has returned. Well, not exactly the Hunchback, but Clopin. Clopin has returned to our studios to discuss just a little more fun in the Disney side of life. As you scan our archives, you know that when he was here first, we of course brought out the original classic Hunchback of Notre Dame, and you can listen to that review in our archives. But since he's returned, it's only fair and fitting that we give props to the sequel. Yes, there is a Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, and that's what we're going to do as we dust off this more recent release and bring you the 2002 direct-to-DVD release of The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. Six years have passed since we last swung in the rafters of the Grand Cathedral of Paris. Phoebus and Esmeralda are married and have a child named Zephyr. Of course, Phoebus is also the captain of the guard to the new Ministry of Justice. And that promotion is only thanks due to the death of Judge Frollo. Aside from the fact of having a child in the cast, the biggest news is that Quasi is accepted in Parisian lifestyle. Well, I mean, with all of the great shops and cafes around town, you've got to get out and enjoy it. And trust me, speaking from personal experience, Paris is a grand town to eat, view, and of course, walk a lot. But don't forget about Disneyland Paris. And even though Quasi can now walk freely amongst the people, he still finds home within the bell tower of Notre Dame with his gargoyle friends Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. You ever wonder if Laverne has a friend named Shirley? Well, as I said, six years have passed and new things have occurred. And whereas last time we celebrated a fine feast, of course the Feast of Fools, this time around we're going to celebrate something called La Jeu des Morts. Do you love it when I have to go into a different tone in my voice just to get a French accent? We just might as well call this the French Valentine's Day. And with it brings a fun troupe of circus folk led by Saroche. Who doesn't love a circus, especially during a festive time? But with all great films, we all know the best intentions have an evil mastermind behind it. And we do learn that Saroche... He's not who we're meant to believe he is. Why, he's actually a criminal mastermind. Who knew? Out to steal one of the bells in the bell tower. La Fidèle, or the faithful bell. The biggest bell in Notre Dame. Which, by the way, is really named Emmanuel. And it is gorgeous. Again, have a chance to go see it. Go do it. It's a long walk up some stairs and some iffy stairs at that, but it is well worth the view. Why would he want a bell? I mean, come on, you can go to any Pier 1 and buy one. In La Fidel, it is the most faithful bell and is the most beautiful bell with a gold interior lining and beautiful jewels decorating it. So in typical villain fashion, LaRoche sends someone else to do his dirty work, that being Madeline an assistant to LaRoche, and a wonderful tightrope walker. In her dirty work, she of course discovers Quasi living about his home within the cathedral. 
and things are great. You know, they discuss the weather, fine restaurants, a good red wine. And could it be love at first sight? Could le jour de mort actually work? Well, that is until she sees his face and she runs. In typical quasi fashion, he needs to let her know that things are okay. And he will convince her that he is a good person. So it's now up to him, with a little convincing from his gargoyle pals, to go down to the circus and see what he can find. Setting foot on soil, Quasi is amazed by what a circus could actually bring. And so Roche is the perfect host to this grand circus. Why, he can even make an elephant disappear. But he can also make your wallet and other uh, valuables disappear as well. See, master thief, grand villain and all, you know. At the same time, Soroche notices that Quasi does have a little bit of a fondness for Madeline. And so he needs to use this to his advantage and forces Madeline to get to know Quasi a little bit better in order to get to know Abel a lot better. Madeline has reservations, not for a good restaurant, but in doing his dirty work on this one for some reason or another. But it's Soroche who reminds her that it is he who saved her life when she was a six-year-old little girl. She could have been forced into the hands of Judge Frollo and more than likely thrown into the fire, burned, hanged, decapitated. You know, the great things that Frollo was good at. And so Soroche took her under his wing to become the master thief she is. The it couple of Paris, of course that's Esmeralda and Phoebus, thought that it would be great if Zephyr go along with Quasi to see the circus. I mean, why not spend the time of their life that they can by enjoying this time together? In following them, Madeline realizes that Quasi is not a monster or an animal, but a true, kind human being at heart. When she notices that after a long day of circus life and play, that Zephyr quietly nuzzles up with Quasi and falls asleep. And Quasi takes care of him as if he were his own. She comes from out of the shadows and into the light of his heart. And she explains that she's not so scared, which excites him greatly. And soon Quasi takes her on a whirlwind tour of the city he loves. Now granted, how he can get that in in a 69-minute movie is still beyond me because I still have sights that I didn't see and I was there for eight days. Things seem to be going great between Quasi and Madeline, and they're enjoying their time together. It is during that time that Soroche takes advantage of the situation and sneaks into the cathedral to finally get what he wants. Zephyr and Jolly the Goat, I mean, who doesn't love a goat named Jolly for crying out loud? Follow Soroche and watch as the Grand Magician makes La Fidel disappear. Well, no one's going to have this, and the gargoyles, especially those grand guardians of the cathedral, aren't going to take this lying down. Well, actually, lying down for a gargoyle would be kind of funny, but you know what I mean. So they devise a plan to capture these thieves under the bells. But in doing so, in typical gargoyle fashion, get themselves caught underneath it instead. What are the gargoyles to do? They've got to get out. They've got to find a way to save their precious bells. Well, it's Laverne who rams herself into the bell, causing it to ring. The loud vibrations go throughout the city. And because he's so attuned to the cathedral, Quasi can hear it. Grabs Madeline and are there off because he knows something's not right at home. 
The Archdeacon is notified and he informs everyone that indeed La Fidelle is gone. And that can only mean one thing. As Clopin says, the festival is ruined. Yes, a bell can kill a party. And so can a bad cheese dip, but that's a whole other issue. It is now up to everyone to find the missing bell. Using his grand detective skills, Phoebus realizes it was LaRoche who was the kingpin all along and played him for a fool. Phoebus encircles all of Paris with guards, which at the time was a lot easier considering it was a much smaller place than it is today. And it is within all of this confusion and camaraderie that Quasi realizes that Paris wasn't the only one played by LaRoche and the circus crew. He too was played by Madeline. Heartbroken and betrayed, he heads back to the cathedral where he believes it was better that he stay. And as a good friend, and a proper captain, immediately Phoebus arrests Madeline. In every evil plot, there's always some sort of negotiation. Granted, they have a very large bell, and that's worth a lot. But what's worth even more in order to get out of Paris? Why, having the son of the captain of the guard with you. And as they run through the catacombs, Siroche, his men, along with the kidnapped Zephyr, tried to make it out of Paris. Of course, discovering that their son is gone and Quasi's best friend is missing, it is up to our gang to go into the vaults, <laughs> great place to be, and find Zephyr. But it is Madeline who offers some added advice to help getting Siroche, and they bring her along. Now, the bad guys almost get away, and they come pretty darn close. But if you remember, as we began this fine description of the film, I told you Madeline was a great high-wire act. In order to prove herself and to save our friend's son, she uses her talents to rescue Zephyr, squash Soroche and his men, and help capture them and put them on trial for their crimes. And with the return of La Fidelle, the festival continues. And in true form, Le Jour d'Amour goes on as planned, and true love does prevail because love is in the air always in Paris and sometimes true love can even make the hardest of things easier and that hard thing is forgiveness quasi does forgive Madeline for what she did to him but because her acts showed more love than anything he has ever seen he professes his love to her and she returns it in abundance and the bells ring once again throughout the city and from the cathedral of the Grand Notre Dame. Now this is a sequel that would have never been made. Partly because if you've ever read Victor Hugo, you know that most everyone dies. So this is a very unique sequel in which most everyone lives. Well, of course, Judge Frollo is no longer with us, so that makes a big difference. With an entire cast returning, at least in spirit, the original voice of Laverne had passed on and we had had to receive a new voice for her in order to continue. But literally, everyone from the original film is back, including new voice actors, Jennifer Love Hewitt playing Madeline, Michael McKeon as Soros, and at the time, the new IT Disney voice, Haley Joel Osment. Now, to most people, when you think of the sequels, you, of course, think of lower quality. And that's not necessarily true. Whereas this was one of the last direct-to-DVD sequels that we would see 
from Disney Toon Studios. This film was more of a Saturday morning cartoon episode than it would have been a regular full-length feature. But what's great about it is the fact that you get the whole gang back together. You get to see exactly what happened from the end of that film. Now granted, they do push the timetable up six years so we can gather another character, but that's beside the point. The fact is that we already know that Phoebus and Esmeralda are going to live happily ever after, but will Quasi ever get to live happily ever after? And I think we get that answer pretty well. Now what was great about the year of 2013 over many things is the fact that we were able to get a Blu-ray release of not only the grand original, but its direct-to-DVD sequel in a Blu-ray DVD bundle. So to be able to have this together with the original makes it a little more special. You can go from one into the other and feel as if the story just continues. Now with a Blu-ray transfer from this DVD, it was a direct digital copy. However, it seems there had been some technical issues or difficulties in the transfer. Whereas it wasn't as clear as I would like it to be, it still is beautiful. The audio, of course, is decent. It is a direct-to-DVD sequel, so you can't expect a complete 7.1 grandiose sound booming throughout your viewing area. However, it is still worth the listen to. Now, of course, as always, one of my favorite parts is the bonus features that you can receive. And for Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, well, unfortunately, they're very minimal. You do get a very, very short behind-the-scenes, all about maybe five minutes, hosted by Jennifer Love Hewitt, basically highlighting the great film that it is. It was an original Disney Channel promo for the film, so you can kind of see it's not going to be completely in-depth. The second, another short one, A Gargoyle's Life. Just a small, cute, three-minute segment explaining the gargoyles that we love. Again, not a, a lot when it comes to bonus features for Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. Now, if you are getting this within the two-pack, you will receive special features for Hunchback itself, which are a little bit better highlighting that classic of a film. Now, please, don't let me swayed you in saying that just because it's a direct-to-DVD sequel means that it's a bad film. I would not be reviewing it for you if it were not. You're still going to find some great moments within this film. So go out and find Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, whichever way you can, because you know what? It's a lot of fun. And that's the important thing about watching these films, enjoying the fun they can bring to you and your family. Or just you if you're watching it alone, because sometimes a good film by yourself can be just as enjoyable. So I'm going to place this one high into the bell tower of our vault here, and we will get a new Blu-ray out next week as we continue 2016 as the year of the blue view to you. You like that? It kind of rhymed. It was kind of fun. Anyway, we'll see you next time, gang, and remember, the magic of Disney movies is always deep inside the bell tower and always deep inside of you. Return to all the wonder and majesty of Disney's classic masterpiece as the story continues in an all-new animated movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. 
featuring the returning all-star voice talent of Demi Moore, Kevin Klein, Tom Hulse, and introducing Haley Joel Osment as Zephyr and Jennifer Love Hewitt as Quasimodo's new friend, Madeline. She's never seen anybody quite like him before. Play Madeline in the movie. She's very insecure and doesn't particularly feel pretty or confident or anything like that. And he thinks she's beautiful and amazing. Maybe someone could love me. He sort of inspires her to be a better person. And it's a really amazing story, and it's one of the best love stories you could ever see. Walt Disney Pictures proudly presents a movie that shows miracles do happen and true love can come true. I think it's going to be a fantastic movie. I think it's going to be something that you want to have in your house so that you can watch it over and over again. It's a really sweet story. Thank you. The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. Premiering only on video and Disney DVD, 2001. Hey there, D-Heads. Paige here with our first magical music review of 2016. I hope everyone has had a great start to the new year and has recovered from the holiday festivities. But we aren't done celebrating just yet, D-Heads. You're probably scratching your heads wondering what holiday you forgot. Well, this won't show up on your calendars. And if it does, you need to tell me where you're buying your calendars because that's just cool. Listen to the bells. They're beautiful, no? We are celebrating the Festival of Fools. That's right, we're looking at the Hunchback of Notre Dame as the Feast of Fools occurs on the 6th of January. And to help us celebrate, we have Clopin back in the studio with Jonathan. Yes, Paul Kandel has returned to Diz Radio and we are happy to welcome him back. You can hear Mr. Kandel lending his talents to the opening song, The Bells of Notre Dame, playing in the background right now. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was released 20 years ago on June 21st with an all-new score from award-winning composer Alan Menken and all-new songs from Mr. Menken once again teaming up with award-winning songwriter Stephen Schwartz. As you may remember, Alan and Stephen enjoyed success in teaming up the year previous with Pocahontas. This Academy Award-nominated score offers many a great song, and I've got three queued up and ready to go. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our look at the music from Disney's 1996 animated classic, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Sometimes when you have two characters in scene at the same time, they share a song together that blends into a different song when one leaves. Quasimodo and Frollo share two songs this way. During our 2015 Halloween season, we looked at Heaven's Light, Hellfire, and focused on the second half with Frollo. We are again looking at the second half of a song by looking at Quasimodo's solo section in the song Out There. As the late Howard Ashman said in an interview during the making of The Little Mermaid, every musical has what can be referred to as the I Want Song, where we learn what our heroine, or in this case our hero, wants in life. We get to know Quasimodo in this song, we learn his motivation, and we get some foreshadowing of what to expect from the movie. In general, it sets up the movie. With Tom Hulse bringing Quasi's voice to life in his dialogue and singing and a beautiful orchestra, this is one of my personal favorites in the Disney Music Library. Safe behind these windows and these parapets of stone, gazing at the people down below me. 
All my life I watch them as I hide up here alone, hungry for the histories they show me. All my life I memorize their faces, knowing them as they will never know me. All my life I wonder how it feels to pass a day not above them. What part of them and of their living in the sun? Give me one day of their. All I ask is one to hope forever of their, where they all live on. What I dare just to live one day out there, out there among the millers and the weavers and their wives, through the roofs and gables I can see them. Every day they shout, scold, and go about their lives, heedless of the gift it is to be them. If I was in their skin, a treasure Every instant of their strolling by the sand Taste the morning of their like ordinary men Who freely walk about there just one day and then Where I'll be content with my share. Won't resent, won't despair. Hold and bend. I won't care. I'll have spent one day out While Demi Moore gives Esmeralda her voice for the script, it's Heidi Mollenhauer who gives our beautiful leading lady her singing voice. Deemed by the New York Times the most memorable and the best number of the film, God Help the Outcasts is the prayer for peace and hope coming off of a scene of humiliation and hurt. Alan and Stephen wrote both Outcasts and the song Someday at the request of Jeffrey Katzenberg, who felt the dark film needed a more uplifting song of inspiration. The final decision as song to use came from the directors Gary Trousdale and Kirk Weiss, who are also the directors for Beauty and the Beast. Gary and Kirk felt that Outcasts fit the tone of the scene more effectively. Someday was used in the credits, so it was not abandoned, but knowing both songs and the scene, I have to agree with Kirk and Gary and say that I think they made the right call. One of the most beautiful songs Disney has, just close your eyes and listen to Heidi, the accompanying choir, and the sweeping instrumentation in this call to God and this prayer for peace and hope. I don't know if you can hear me Or if you're even there I don't know if you would listen To a gypsy's prayer Yes, I know I'm just an outcast I shouldn't speak to you Still I see your face and wonder Were you once an outcast too? 
Like every good musical, Hunchback has a showstopper number. Since Alan came to the studio for The Little Mermaid, he has had showstoppers in Under the Sea, Be Our Guest, and A Friend Like Me, to name a few. Topsy Turvy fits next to these songs on the shelf quite nicely. Full of energy and excitement, Paul Kandel gives Clopin the MC spotlight as the leader of the celebration of that great January 6th spectacular, The Festival of Fools. The song is whimsical in every way, from its lyrics to its instrumentation. Clopin, the gypsies, and the citizens of Paris come together for this wacky party where everything is upside down. In the soundtrack release, the section where Quasi first meets Esmeralda is purely instrumental and is downplayed in dynamics. It crescendos back to the forte sound as the lyrics return. Outside of this brief section and the moment when Quasi is discovered on stage, the song remains mostly forte and above and at a fast tempo. A definite song of celebration. Take it away, Clopin. Once a year we throw a party here in town. Once a year we turn all parties upside down. Every man's a king and every king's a clown. Once again, it's topsy-turvy day. It's the day that Demolinos get released. It's the day we mock the friggin' chocolate priest. Every king is topsy-turvy at the feast of Acting crazy throsses, gold and weeds are up to pay. That's the way of Pussy Terry Day. Blow the trumpet, Pussy 
Day for Extra Spurvy on the 6th of January. Oh, because it's Fancy Turvy Day! Come one, come all! Harry, Harry, here's your chance. See the mystery and Robert. Come one, come all! See the finest girl in France. Make an entrance to entrance. Dance La Esmeralda! that the first magical music review of 2016 has run out of time thanks for starting up the new year with us again d heads we are gearing up to have a great year and we are looking forward to having you along for the ride i have exciting news to share with you all actually this weekend i will be traveling down to orlando florida to begin my disney college program experience i plan on continuing with my segment as much as i possibly can while i enjoy and learn from my time working for disney so with all that said i will see you back next week for another installment of the magical music review as always, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can connect with me on the DWIRE discussion page on Facebook, or feel free to email me at page at disradio.com. That's P-A-I-G-E at disradio.com. Have a great rest of your week, D-Heads, and until next time, see ya! All right, LVD head. so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed this very long kickoff for 2016. Lots of fun things on the horizon, the D-team, so much more. I'd like to extend a very special thank you once again to the talented... 
Paul Candell for stopping in once again here at the show, sharing his memories, magic, and more from the 20th anniversary of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. If you haven't had a chance to check out this film and its sequel, definitely check it out and add it to your collection. Share it with your family. It truly is a magical animated film from Disney. Thank you, Paul, once again for stopping in. I'd also like to thank the D-team of Nathan, Caitlin, Paige, Jason, and Cody, all for stopping in here this week with their signature segments, adding that fun, and without them, you'd have to listen to me ramble week in and week out. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the D-heads. You are the reason we continue to bring this show to you, and this is kicking off our sixth year of Diz Radio. So thank you, the D-heads, for making this show what it is, spreading the word, and becoming those avid listeners, and helping us bring that magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney to you every single week. So, all of you D-heads, with that said, we have somebody very special lined up here next week as we continue on into 2016. But before we do that, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com. D-I-Z Radio. Dot com. You can also connect up with us over the social media outlets on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can friend us on Facebook at facebook.com slash John Diz. That's J-O-N-D-I-Z. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and so much more. Just check out Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky little show. And remember, you can find all these links and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com dizradio.com and remember you can always subscribe and get the latest shows right there in your news feed your blogs and more with iTunes and Stitcher Radio and subscribe and get the latest shows right there on your mobile device your tablet your Android your iPhone and listen to them as soon as they get released just by subscribing through iTunes and Stitcher Radio so all VD heads with that said 2016 has set sail and with that I'm just going to clue you in one more time as we set sail we visit ghosts we have pirates zombies and so much more. Put it all together and we have a very special guest stopping in for next week's show. So all of you D-heads, with that said, 2016 has arrived and as I always say, with the new year, of course with all those resolutions and so much more, take time, slow down, and never neglect family for business. Until next week, all of you D-heads, I'll catch you online and uh, have a fantastic weekend. Oh, yes, you have sanctuary. But not freedom. Gypsies don't do well inside stone walls. But you're not like other gypsies. They are evil. Who told you that? My master, Frollo. He raised me. How can such a cruel man have raised someone like you? Cruel? Oh, no. He saved my life. He took me in when no one else would. I am a monster, you know. He told you that? Look at me. Give me your hand. Why? Just let me see it. Hmm. A long lifeline. Oh, and... This one means you're shy. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, that's funny. What? I don't see any. Any what? Monster lines. Not a single one. Now you look at me. Do you think I'm evil? No. No, no, you you were kind and good and, and... And a gypsy. And maybe Frollo's wrong about the both of us. What did she say? Frollo's nose is long and he wears a truss. Ha! <laughs> Told you, pay up. Oh.
Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues Disney on Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney Company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.